in the archives this morning with uh, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. If you haven't seen this film, I'm not necessarily recommending it. Um, <clears throat> one of, one of uh, our AV guys came back this morning and told me that uh, Ethan, who is, is running the slides for us this morning and who is uh, 17, right? Is, is, he's like, oh, he's trying to find the clip for you. And I was like, don't let him watch the whole movie. So I'm not recommending the entire movie. But this is a, if you know anything about Monty Python, uh, this, this British comedy troupe that really kind of came into their own in the, the 70s and 80s, they, they have a soft spot or, or maybe a hard, a hard spot, a calloused spot for religion. A lot of, a lot of times they, they kind of identify religion as the aim of their mockery. And this is one of those times. And they, they say, you know, the Python troop said that their goal with this film was to offend everyone if possible. Um, and so they do a pretty good job of that. But part of why this bit works is because some of us, maybe many of us, have experienced faith kind of like this, where our interactions with God have been prescribed, uh, forced, They've been things that we've been told we ought to say. We've been, we've been given the precise way in which that someone ought to approach God and, and interact with God, even though a lot of times it just doesn't feel real. It's not really what we think. It's not really what we want to say, if we want to say anything at all, but it's what we've been told we ought to say. And it just feels fake. For many of us, this has been our experience. Well, we are continuing a series that we've been in the last few weeks that we're calling The Wanderer. And in this series, we're looking at the, the book of Genesis, the, the first book that we come to in the Bible, and particularly the ancient stories of this guy named Abraham, this, this one who in many ways is a hero of the faith, but in many ways is not very heroic many times. And we've been following his journey, learning to live life with God and others and asking, what can we learn about this for ourselves and our lives today? So we're going to have a time at the end of Q&A. I promise this week, the last two weeks, uh, we've, we've gone a little over, so we haven't had time for that, but we're going to have time for Q&A. So if, while I'm speaking, there's any questions about something I said or something I missed, um, feel free to kind of jot that down, tuck it in the back of your head, uh, or we also have a, a phone number you'll find on the back of your bulletin you can text your question to. And at the end of our time together, uh, of the sermon, we'll interact a little bit. And so uh, you'll have a chance to put up your hand and ask a question or to text it to that number and we'll, we'll try to respond. Before we jump into the scripture, I did want to just kind of note one thing, kind of to bring to your attention in case you're interested but you need some more clarity. Emily talked about the interest group that we're having immediately after the service this morning for the soccer club. Uh, just briefly about that, uh, we're, we're really excited about this opportunity, and this isn't an opportunity for everyone. You know, not everything is for everyone, and this, this opportunity isn't for everyone. But I do think this is an opportunity for some of us, and not just for those of us who love soccer, though some of you are out there, and you, you love opportunities to play soccer, and this could be really fun for you. But this is really for anybody who's interested in investing in young people's lives. It's going to be a, a twice-a-week club that El Portico runs. El Portico is a Spanish-speaking church in the city that we've been building a relationship with over the past few months. 
Some of you might remember they were with us a, a while ago, a couple of months ago, and many of us went down to worship with them one Sunday morning. So they kind of run this club, but they're looking for people who can come in and, and work with them, people who can provide some snacks, some healthy snacks for the kids. And really what this club is about is investing in these kids' lives. One, one quick story as to some of how this works itself out. Um, a lot of these kids are in situations where after school they don't maybe immediately have a place to go to, to have supervision, to have kind of a safe place to, to play, to, to engage with their friends. They're just kind of on their own. And so one of the things that this club provides is relationships, a, a chance to connect with some of these kids who might not have other adults in their lives. And one, uh, Pastor Carlos was telling Andrew and I one time a, a story about one young girl who used to come and to soccer club every time it was there, and one week she just didn't show up. And because they'd built a relationship with these kids, they noticed that she wasn't there. And so they pulled aside some of her friends. They said, hey, uh, we noticed that your friend wasn't here this week. What's going on? Is she okay? And they said, well, actually, she, she didn't come because, well, she... She had a problem a couple of days ago where she got jumped by some girls right after school. And so she's, she hasn't been staying after because it's, it's just not safe for her. And obviously Pastor Carlos was, you know, shocked by this and kind of went to the, the administration at the school to make sure that they knew. Well, it turns out they didn't. They weren't aware this was happening. But they were able to, to look back at some of the security videos that they had and find the incident that they're talking about and bring it to, to light and, and deal with some of the kids who are involved. But it was because Carlos and some of these others had a relationship with them that they were able to even know this stuff was going on. So this is, again, it, it's just an opportunity for investing in some kids who love soccer and, and need a safe place to hang out and engage with one another. So I really want to encourage you to consider that. Immediately after our worship gathering, uh, Andrew's going to meet with anybody who's interested, just kind of right up here so you can just come forward. And by coming to the meeting, you're not signing up for anything. You're just showing interest, which is why we call an interest meeting, right? And so uh, if you're interested after that and you want to sign up, you can do so. But this is just to hear more about it, to ask some questions and see what opportunities there might be for you to be involved. So I encourage you to check that out. Okay, there's my advertisement. Now, we're going to jump back into Abraham's story, and we're going to pick this up in Genesis chapter 18. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, if you have a Bible, you can follow it along. We're going to start in Genesis 18, verse 1. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. And of course, if you do not own a Bible, we would love to give you one. Uh, we have a, a bunch sitting on the countertop out back in the foyer area. We just invite you to grab one of those before you leave this morning. Don't worry about it right now. Again, this is going to be up on the screen so that you can follow along with us there. But we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. All right, so we're going to pause for a second there. I know that's pretty short. But I just want to kind of draw your attention to what's going on. So we've seen Abraham interacting with God a couple of different times throughout this story. But whenever we do, it's always just God's voice. We hear God's voice. Abraham hears God's voice, and we kind of get to look in from the outside. But this is the first time we actually, Abraham, like, encounters God in some kind of physical form. 
And it's fascinating that the way in which he encounters God is that there are three people who come up. Now, a, a number of months ago, we did our series called Fuzzy Math, where we looked at the Trinity and this, this Christian idea that God is one but also three, Father, Son, and Spirit, living eternally in self-giving love. And we talked about this as this kind of mystery, but this thing we believe as core to what it means to be a follower of Christ, who reveals God, who lives in, in community. And this is, as, as we look at passages like this, what's fascinating is that from, a, from a, 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 the perspective of someone who follows Christ and understands God as, as Jesus reveals him, this kind of points ahead to this understanding even where it's not fully articulated that God is one, but God is also three in some mysterious way. So God shows up to Abraham in three travelers. It's interesting. But that's not the main point. I just wanted to draw attention to that. There's some other interesting stuff in there. Again, I encourage you to read along. One of the most interesting parts of this passage, actually, that we're not going to read, is that when Abraham welcomes uh, God to, to visit with him, he tells him to hang on, brings him some snacks, and then prepares dinner from like calf to burger, right? Like live calf to the actual food that he's serving him. And it's always been fast. Can you imagine how long that would take to like come like, hey, I'm going to go get dinner ready, and they have to go kill the calf, and then it's, it's fascinating to me. You should read it. It's interesting. But um, okay, we're going we're gonna to move on. That's not, that's not the main point. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Then the men got up from the meal and looked out toward Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed toward Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, since I've dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. So this is a fascinating portion of Scripture. Abraham 
negotiates with God. Now, I don't know about you, um, but this, this is a little odd for me. This is not how I tend to think our interactions with God should go. When I think about how someone interacts with God, I, I tend to think in more like hushed, subdued tones, like a, a servant groveling at their master's feet. But this isn't what we see in Abraham. And, and maybe it's just because Abraham's kind of new to this whole thing where he doesn't have this long religious past with God and so he's not carrying around the baggage of this is what you ought to do, what you ought not to do. He just knows that he finds this whole situation somewhat troubling and so he decides to tell God about it. And he has an actual honest conversation with God. Now, surely that was a bad idea, right? Like, you don't question God. You don't, you don't push back. You don't negotiate with the creator of all things. But look at how God responds in the whole interaction. There's no, there's no anger. There's no smiting. There's no get back in your place, boy. What do you think you're doing? There's engagement. God actually responds. He interacts with Abraham. He, he engages in the conversation. And the way in which Abraham engages actually has an influence on the direction of the conversation. You see that? God is actually, like this is a, a real conversation. It's not, it's not the prescribed way in which Abraham is supposed to enter the situation. It's Abraham being honest and his honesty really influencing where this all goes. Now, for many of us, this is not how we understand how we ought to interact with God. Our understanding is much more like the clip from Monty Python, where there is a prescribed way in which we are to pray. You can tell this because often when it comes time for someone, you know, if you're in a situation where someone needs to pray, there can sometimes be great concern over how to pray the right way. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I do often. I often talk to people who, w when there's an opportunity to pray, or, or wh whether it's in a group setting or just one-on-one, -on -one, they feel very uncomfortable because I, I don't know what I would say. I, I don't know how I ought to do it. For many of us, we have this sense that God needs us to approach him in a particular way or else we're just going to mess it all up. It's going to go badly. Either I'm going to make God mad or I'm just going to do it wrong and it's not going to work. But we're really concerned about the how. Or for others, prayer seems a little, I don't know, a little strange. I mean, after all, doesn't God already know everything that's going to happen? So... Why would I bother praying? Like, what's the point? Is it just kind of an exercise in futility? Is it, is it God kind of stringing me along, allowing me to think I have some, some skin in the game when really it's just all going to go the way he wants it to go anyway? And if that's the case, then really what's the point? It's kind of like the, the George Carlin bit. Um, I don't know if any of you have 
seen George Carlin, the famous comedian, he said this once. He, he said, he was talking about the problems he sees in religion. He said, and here's something else. Another problem you might have. Suppose your prayers aren't answered. What do you say? Well, it's God's will. Thy will be done. Well, fine. But if it's God's will, and he's going to do what he wants to anyway, why bother praying in the first place? Seems like a big waste of time to me. Couldn't you just skip the praying part and go right to his will? It's all very confusing. But for many of us, right, we, like, that's, that's kind of the tension we feel when we think about prayer. Does it really matter? Because after all, God's just going to do what God's going to do. So what's the point in praying? But in this scene with Abraham, this is not the experience that we see at all. This is not Abraham coming to God with the prescribed, here's the thing I have to say and when I have to say it and how I ought to do it. This is Abraham talking honestly with the Lord of the universe in a way that actually influences the direction of the conversation. And what's fascinating is God seems neither threatened nor resigned. God isn't defensive. God isn't arguing for his point. He's open to the conversation. And he's not resigned. He doesn't seem, it's not as though he's dismissing Abraham's argument as though there's no hope of anything different. He actually allows Abraham to talk through it with him in a way that seems to be authentic and real. And what's fascinating is as much as we tend to experience the prayer life as a prescribed experience for us, as a prescribed religious activity, this is not what we see again and again in the scriptures. As we look through the scriptures, in the stories, and in the interactions of these people with God, what we see is more often these kind of encounters. Whether it's Abraham negotiating with God, or, or his grandson Jacob actually wrestling with God physically. Moses arguing with God in, in Exodus chapter 32, where God's going to destroy the Israelites for idolatry, and Moses seems to talk him out of it. Jonah and other prophets complaining to God about what they see as injustice on God's behalf, and God actually engaging them in conversation, not striking them down because they had the audacity to, to say this is wrong, but welcoming the interaction. And even Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you're familiar with the story, just before he is about to be arrested and taken to be killed, he says, God, if there's any other way for this to work out, that would be great. The pattern that we see again and again in Scripture is one in which People are openly and honestly engaging with God. Not saying the thing they think they ought to say, but saying what they feel most deeply in a way that they believe God is actually interested in. That God actually seems to be interested in what it is that you and I care most deeply about or want most desperately. What God seems to be most interested in when it comes to relating to us is not our unquestioning loyalty or even our blind obedience, but it's relationship. 
It's honest engagement. Because what God doesn't ultimately want is a bunch of servants or slaves, but friends. And I know that sounds odd, right? That like, and then it's not that God's like lonely and he needs buddies. But what God's looking for in terms of relationship is friendship. Again, sounds weird, I know, but I didn't make it up. If you look at uh, the, the letter of James that we find in that towards the end of the New Testament, it's written by Jesus' half-brother, James. He says this in James chapter 2. He's talking about Abraham. And he says, and, it's so, and so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. He was called God's friend. That was a thing. That God's primary desire in relationship with Abraham was that it evolve into something more like friendship than like a master-slave relationship. And if you know, you know, if you know anybody who has a good friend, or if you have a good friend, hopefully you have good friends, you know that there's a there's a depth of, of honesty and openness that can happen in those friendships that's pretty uncommon and pretty amazing. So I, uh, I grew up in a, a family where we just, we didn't really quite know how to do conflict very well. We didn't, there was a lot of fear around what happens if you do conflict with someone. Does, if you hurt somebody's feelings, is that kind of damage the relationship forever? And so we really avoided conflict at all costs. So I didn't quite understand how to argue very well as I became an adult. And some of you might say, well, that's actually good. But, they, you know, it can become problematic when you have to kind of do conflict with people and you don't know how to do that without being fearful of severing relationship. And so earlier on, when I was working with a, a couple of guys at one point, uh, their names were Eric and Damon, and they had been kind of lifelong friends. These guys were, were pretty close. And at one point, we're, we're discussing something that both of them felt really passionately about, but from different sides. And so they proceeded to go into, like, full-tilt argument mode. And I was kind of, a, you know, a third-party observer to all of this. And it was, for me, again, having come from a background where these kinds of interactions meant you were severing relationship, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is all, I mean, this is, this is it. This is dissolving right in front of my eyes. How do I recover this thing for them? And so they kind of, you know, they both dug their heels in, and they fought for their side, and they got out, and neither of them really saw the other person's side, and, and we walked away. And I kind of reached out to Eric later, and I was like, dude, do we need to, you know, kind of follow up and, and work some things out? And he just looked at me like, I, it was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, the, the fight that you and Damon just had. He was like, I, what, what, do you, what do you mean? Like, that's just what we do. Like, we both felt really strongly about our side, and so we argued very strongly for it, and we disagree, and that's that. Like, what? I don't understand. He was dumbfounded. And I was dumbfounded, too, because I'd never seen a relationship where there was so much trust that you could actually disagree that strongly about something and come out the other side okay. In fact, in some ways, maybe even stronger. But that's what their friendship looked like. And it gave me a different vision for friendship. Another thing that's been really helpful for that in my life is my marriage to my wife. Um, because, again, coming from this is not her, um, 
in case you're wondering. Uh, coming from a conflict-avoidant family, I didn't really know how to do conflict well in marriage. And so early on, when we would have disagreements, there were kind of two choices that I defaulted to that I didn't quite recognize that I was doing, but I, I, I did. The one was I would just kind of, I, I wouldn't want to deal with it, and so I'd just say, okay, fine, whatever you want, we'll just do that. Because I didn't know how to do anything else without severing ties, without hurting the relationship. But when there was something I felt really strongly about, I, I didn't even know how to engage that well. I just kind of would say the thing that I thought in some really brisk, impassioned way and then shut down, which is really unhelpful if you've ever tried to have a conversation. Um, and so it was really difficult for Tracy and I to figure out how to, how to negotiate that, how to grow together. And what I realized is that I just didn't, I didn't trust her. I didn't trust that she could take my disagreement, that she could take our conflict and still love me and still, still be my partner and my friend because I just hadn't seen that modeled. But any, any relationship that is going to grow in a healthy way moving forward has got to be defined primarily by trust by an ability to trust the other person so that you, you don't have to be your perfect self. You don't have to say the right thing all the time. You can make mistakes. You can sometimes be wrong, as I am ever so often. And it's okay. It's okay. Because you trust them. You trust them that they're not going to reject you because they don't expect you to be perfect. They expect you to be you. And this is the kind of relationship that we see God engaging Abraham with. An Ab- a relationship that's not about Abraham getting it all right on the front end, but about Abraham trusting God enough to be honest and open about what he really wants and who he really is and what he really sees. C.S. Lewis talks about the, the need for honesty when we engage with God. In his book, Letters to Malcolm, he says this, It is no use to ask God with factitious earnestness for A, when our whole mind is in reality filled with the desire for B. We must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And for so many of us, when we think about the idea of prayer, whether we're someone who regularly engages in prayer or not, we often think about it as the thing that, you know, there's a way to do it, and we got to do it right or it doesn't work, whatever that means. But what we see in Scripture, in the story of Abraham and on and on through these stories, is a desire for us to be honest about what is, not what ought to be. What we really think, what we really feel, that we, we talk to God about the truth of who we are and what we see and what we want, and that that honesty actually impacts God. It makes a difference. That God, because God ultimately desires friendship, wants us fully engaged in the relationship, not just as servants, but as friends. J. 
Jesus says it this way in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 15. He says to his, his closest, his disciples, his students, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Jesus shows us a way to interact with God. And really what he's doing is amplifying the entire story of Scripture as we see it from beginning to end is that what God wants ultimately with us is honest engagement, friendship, where we are honest about who we are and and what we want and we come to God boldly with that, trusting that he's actually interested in what we want. That what we want, what we see, what we desire actually matters to God. That the call to follow is the call to friendship. And an invitation to pray is an invitation to trust that what we say matters. It has influence on God. So a couple of things to think about as we wrap things up and get ready to move into Q&A. So the first thing is, again, friendship means honesty. By saying God wants friendship with us, what we're saying is God wants us. Not the, the cleaned up you, not the you who speaks with very kind of flowery language but the real you with your real thoughts and your real frustrations, the you who sometimes has lots of doubts and lots of struggles, the you who sees the way the world's going and actually you might think God is making some mistakes. That you. Because one of the things you find in the, if you read the prophets in the Old Testament is it's not that uncommon for them to question whether or not God is actually doing what God should be doing. They're not afraid of that. They're not hiding out under a rock because they think God's going to smite them because they're going, God, I'm not, like I'm looking at what's going on and I'm wondering if you really, if you really know what you're doing. That doesn't seem to bother God. God welcomes that interaction. He doesn't, he doesn't reject it because it's not cleaned up enough, because it's not the right thing. He wants honesty. And so, for those of us who are interested in moving forward in friendship with God and growing, I mean, maybe you wouldn't even describe, maybe you would say you don't have relationship with God, you, you don't even know if you believe in God. Maybe you would say you're, the, the way you interact with God is much more like there are these kind of religious practices that you participate in, but I don't know that I'd describe it as something beyond that. Maybe it's the master-slave thing where I feel like, you know, God tells me what to do and I do it. But if we're interested in, in friendship with God, which is the kind of relationship that Jesus reveals that God ultimately wants with us, then it's got to begin with our willingness to get honest about how we really feel, what we really see, and even what we really want. And so I would, I would encourage you this week to think about how you might begin to be honest with God about what's going on in your life, what struggles you're facing, what things you see in the world that disturb you. To be honest, to deal honestly 
with God, about your doubts, about the things that you're kind of fed up with, whatever it is, not to pull punches, but to deal honestly with God and trust that he, he's trustworthy. He's not going to reject you because you don't say it nicely, because you don't say it the right way. What he wants is you, really you. So that's one. Consider how you might take steps towards being honest in your relationship with God. And second, and tied to that, I would encourage you to think about how you might begin to ask for what you want. Now, that can sound really self-serving, so let me expand for just a second. There's a a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 11. It's the third gospel uh, or biography of Jesus that we come to in the New Testament. And in it, he tells the story of of this neighbor who has has some friends who come over and he doesn't have enough bread. And so he goes over to his neighbor's house and he knocks and the neighbor's kind of in bed and he's like kind of relaxed and he's like, don't bother me right now. I'm in bed with my family. Like, just come back tomorrow. And Jesus encourages, no, no, no. You're going to get what you need if you keep knocking. And so then he says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. He encourages persistence in coming to God with what we want, with what we need. Because what we want, what we need matters to God. So um, as many of you know, my son and I recently were on a trip to Jamaica with um, the Davis family, who's a part of our church here, a little missions trip, kind of an opportunity to work with an organization down there. And, and learn a little bit about what they're doing and think about whether or not that might be a good fit for us in terms of a long-term relationship. And while we were there, one of the places we worked was an infirmary, a place where people brought uh, their elderly and infirmed family members to kind of live out their days. Uh, there were some exceptions to that, but largely those were the people who were there. And one of the people that Josh and, and Ethan and Gavin Davis um, and some other of the kids got to hang out with, interact with, was the guy we knew simply as Domino Man. Uh, because he played dominoes. And so they would kind of sit around and play dominoes with him, and, and that was a really fun experience for them. Well, after the first day of doing this, we got back to the, the place we were staying, and Josh came to me and was like, man, Dad, I really w- like, he loves dominoes so much, and he doesn't even have a full set. I wish there was some way that I could get him a set of dominoes. But because of the situation, we weren't allowed to kind of go on our own out in the, out in the town. Uh, it, it wasn't you know, for various reasons, wasn't safe. And, and so we couldn't just go out and try and find dominoes. And even if we could, I don't know where we would have gone. It's, you know, there wasn't like a Walmart we could just go to. And so I said, you know, I don't, I don't know, Josh. I think that's a great thing. I'm really glad you care about this. Maybe we should just pray and ask God to help us figure that out. And now I know I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to say stuff like that all the time, but that was really kind of anxiety producing for me because I'm like, if, I don't know if I should say this because if I say this and then we don't get dominoes, what does that mean, right? Like, I'm okay with that. I can deal with the fact that, you know, it just doesn't always go that way. But what about, what, what does it mean for Josh and how he views God and all of that? But I was like, yeah, let's just, just try it, right? And so we did. And so Josh was like, all right, fine. And so, you know, we, we did. We prayed. It wasn't anything flowery or good. It was just like, God, dominoes would be cool. Please, thanks. And then we were done. Well, later that week, um, 
there was a, they, they brought some, some people from the outside, some people who had small businesses, to sell some of their, their wares for us. So if we were interested in getting some wares, no one uses that, you know, but there's stuff, right? And so that if we wanted souvenirs, we could get some. And so they kind of set up and we're walking along. And sure enough, you know, Josh sees this person who has like homemade dominoes. And Josh is like, bam, there we are. So he comes and tells me, we go to Marla, who's the woman who runs the organization. And we were talking to her. We're like, ah, we're going to get those dominoes for this guy. And she was like, ah, mm, those dominoes won't work. They're homemade. They won't really like the homemade ones. They're kind of, they, they really want the, the more professional looking dominoes. And we're like, ah, what a bummer. She's like, oh, but if you give me some money, I can go get them. And, get, and we're like, okay, I guess that's fine. And so as she's talking to us about this, she kind of glances to the side and she's like, oh, look, this person has one set of dominoes that will work. And we're like, really? She's like, yeah. And we talked to the woman, and she like negotiated with her and got her down a little bit. She's like, here you go. And so Josh was able to buy dominoes. And they, they took a picture. Here's a picture of one of the interns taking a picture of Josh with the dominoes that they then stuck in the, because uh, now, I don't know if you know this, Polaroid cameras are back in. Remember those? We shake it like a Polaroid picture. I'm not. Um, <clears throat> but so, <laughs> it's a thing. Um, and so she, she took a picture with a, a Polaroid camera, and Josh wrote a little note, and they stick it in the dominoes so she could deliver it to him. And I was like, how cool is that, right? That, that we're actually able to be in this place where we're, we're, we're praying for God to provide something really cool for this person, and we're able to kind of see it happen. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, right? If you hadn't prayed, the dominoes would have been there anyway. Maybe. I don't know that. Do you? By, by praying, it brought us more fully into the story of what God was doing in these people's lives, even in really small ways. And it allowed us to see God's love for these people in a small thing like providing a case of dominoes. And I think this, this story illustrates something that's really true about how we ought to approach prayer. That prayer should be an outgrowth of our, our seeing the world and being moved with compassion, wanting God's goodness to come in people's lives. And as we do, wanting to participate in that with God in some way and recognizing that some of those things are beyond us. There are some things that we are, we're incapable of fixing or changing or being a part of, and so we ask God to work. But we also step out asking God to use us in that work in some way. And so prayer is a participatory act where we trust God, we're honest with God, but we also ask God to use us in the working out of his plan in the lives of others. Henry Nouwen, author, priest, says it this way. He says, Prayer and action can never be seen as contradictory or mutually exclusive. Prayer without action grows into powerless pietism, and action without prayer degenerates into questionable manipulation. And so I think that as we look out in the world and see things that stir us towards compassion, we need to pray that God would meet those needs, that God would show up and offer those people God's good life, and that God would invite us into that process, that God would show us how we might join God in bringing life and hope and beauty into the lives of others.
this is what I want my prayer life to look like. Honest engagement with God and participation in what God's doing in the world. And it's what I want for each of us, that we could live these kinds of lives together. Honest with God, involved in what God's doing in the world. And let me pray for us briefly, and then we're going to have the band come up, and we're going to f- finish with a final song. Well, Father, um, we are really grateful for the ways that you fill our lives with beauty and life and goodness. But we also want to be really honest about the things that we're frustrated about and discouraged about, the things that we see in the world that we are sickened by, that we want to see different, the ways that we struggle with doubts and uncertainties, even about you and our faith. God, help us to be honest. Give us courage and renewed trust that you can take our honesty, that that we can be real about the things that concern us and bring them to you without apology because the things that concern us concern you. And would you help us to have hearts that are open to being shaped so that increasingly we want what you want, that our lives reflect your character and nature. And would you give us eyes to see where you're inviting us to join you in what you're doing, that even as we pray for you to to work in the lives of others, to work in the world, would you give us eyes to see how, how you might be inviting us to join the work that you're doing. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.